So thank you, uh, uh, thank you, Eugene, for the invitation. And uh, it's great to be here and feeling at home with this Sangha. Um, but really, uh, it's worth knowing that in a country as small as Israel, with a population of uh, six million people, there are um, thousands of people that come every year to retreats. We have more than 40 retreats. We have groups all over the country. We have programs in half the prisons in the country. We have loads of schools where, uh, where there's a mindfulness and a practice being taught through the teachers. Um, we do peace work between Israelis and Palestinians and going to the Palestinian territories. Um, we have programs for older people on wise aging and for cancer patients, uh, visiting homes and bringing meditation to cancer patients, and all done by basically volunteers. So it's a huge and a beautiful sangha in Israel, and I think partly because it's such a difficult country, so people really are hungry for, um, for something else. And um, the example is, a couple of years ago I read a book uh, which is not a beginner's book. I mean, it starts at the beginning about what is an awakened view. How does an awakened view give us a different attitude to ordinary life situations like aging and sickness and tiredness and money and so on and ethics? But it goes on into deep practice and into uh, ultimate awakening and into uh, really deep dharma. The book is going all the way. So I thought, well, there's not going to be that many people that will really be ready for it. People want beginner's books on, you know, ABC of mindfulness and that's it. Um, and my book isn't there. And it was 18 weeks, number one bestseller in the country on the nonfiction list. And I was in shock. But it, it does tell me about the hunger, especially for young people who want meaning, who are struggling with a, a very difficult um, political and peace situation, conflict situation. And they're really hungry for meaning. And uh, I think that that's, um, that's a really positive thing. So, and by the way, the book is there uh, in English. It's just come out, and that's why I'm going around the States. And there's a box there which says $15 on it. And if you want a book, put $15 in the box. And if you don't have $15, put something. <laughs> that's just the cover price, but uh, um, be happy. Um, so, um, it is a time, but I think not only in Israel, of uh, all of us in in. Um, anxiety, a time of anxiety, a time of pressure, a time of change. Um, I do worry about my grandchildren, uh, what's going to happen. And, you know, there, there, is a there is a time of concern now. And um, so the Buddhist teachings have to address that. I'm interested in themes in the Buddhist teaching which go way beyond mindfulness. And here is one of them. People in Israel ask me, um, when I go around, well, if I practice mindfulness, will I be happy and everything will be fine? <laughs> no, actually. 
you need much more than that. You need dharma. That means you need the big view that the dharma brings, not just mindfulness. And uh, at the same time, the dharma teachings, the Buddhist teachings, have been 50, 60 years uh, on the road from the East, and they're really becoming established in everyone. I'm going around the, the Bay Area so far and then to the East Coast, and so many sanghas and people live the Dharma um, more than ever before. And um, so um, I think it really is uh, important to see the Dharma now, today, as much, much bigger than mindfulness. And the key that I like to think about is in the Satipatthana Sutta. The Satipatthana Sutta is the main sutta, which is the guiding sutta for the mindfulness movement uh, and for the really the insight movement. So Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. Three foundations are more concerned with mindfulness of body-mind, but the fourth foundation is mindfulness of dharma. And when you look at the fourth foundation, mindfulness of dharma is mindfulness of, for example, the, the, the seven factors of awakening, meaning qualities of being, joy, inquiry, um, I, I, calmness, um, and equanimity. And so I'm, the dharma is really about the qualities that we pick up or we develop as a result of practice, what are the qualities that change in us? And I think this is a key issue for us to really understand the bigness of the teaching. It's when we get up from meditation, what's changed for us? Not that mindfulness meditation is a good thing, but when I get up, am I different and how? What qualities have developed inside so the Four Noble Truths are there. Uh, what is mindfulness of the Four Noble Truths? Not as a conceptual framework, but mindfulness. Mindfulness is in the now. So what's the Four Noble Truths in a moment? In the now. And that's Dharma. It's going beyond mindfulness. It's applying it to, uh, to much, a much bigger uh, picture. So... What I'd like to address is one aspect of Dharma, as I say, going beyond mindfulness, which is, I think, needed especially in our situation today. And that quality is equanimity. And um, I'm interested in equanimity. And it's a very powerful and very beautiful quality that the Dharma helps us develop. So when, uh, uh, just before the Buddha died, one of the last words that he said before he died is, is be an island to yourself. And it's interesting that it was more or less the last bit of teaching he gave to his monks. And he chose that. And it shows the importance of us, the image of being able to stand our ground and stand in front of challenge and in front of the mind of the, the, the mass, the herd mind, the mind of everybody, like going off into a crazy situation, but we stand our ground. We're an island in the stormy seas. And it's a very important message, I think, 
for the Dharma, that the, the, the Buddhist teaching is not just sort of giving in and saying, well, okay, what's happening? And I'll just sit and meditate. And, and it's actually saying, I'm standing my ground. Now, what makes sense from this place of autonomy? How do I act in the world? And what can I bring to the world if I'm steady? So he answered, be an island. And um, he said, how to be an island? Uh, he said, basically, um, apamada. So apamada is similar to mindfulness, but not exactly the same. The word apamada in Pali, uh, mindfulness is sati, and apamada is like mindfulness, but it actually also means to take care. It's not just to be... Uh, to shine the light on experience, but actually to take care, to be careful, to be watchful of what goes on. So it's a little bit more than mindfulness. And he said, um, that's the practice. And if you do that, body, mind, uh, emotions, feelings, etc., be careful, watchful, of everything, all your experience that happens, and you will find authentic, authenticity by the truth of the moment. That's your guide. And uh, so it's an important message. Now, usually we are finding our kind of protection in life from um, building a kind of... Um, an external protection, meaning making conditions of life that are helpful to us, um, defending ourselves against uh, unpleasant situations, uh, coping in life, uh, managing, sorting, doing, uh, uh, making things more comfortable for us. We're really busy with external protection. And... Um, uh, you know, an example would be shopping. When bored, go shopping. <laughs> Not only in America, also Israel. Or another protection would be screens. When you're not sure what, open the screens. It's crazy. If you go on a train in Israel, there's not one person, not a single person in a train in Israel that is actually doing anything other than looking at a screen. Not a single person. <laughs> um, so that's the external protection. But equanimity is actually asking you there is an internal protection which is inside and quiet. And you feel protected in life without all these external behaviors that make me feel comfortable and safe and so on. There's something inside where I can feel safe and steady and being an island and standing in the middle of the ground and still knowing suffering and still knowing the difficulties but not, but not knocked over by them. And that's equanimity. It's an internal, kind of invisible protection which uh, is much more important than having a kind of armor outside, building walls, keeping out difficulty. So this internal protection is really, uh, I think, very... Very important. So, um, 
as the Buddha said, apamada, it's in, we find the protection in the heart of experience, in the experience itself. And whenever we practice authentically dharma, whenever we practice meditation, we are developing a bit of equanimity. It's, it's right there at the beginning. If, for example, we're sitting and we have an unpleasant experience and a pleasant experience, and we get used to allowing this and that, and being less selective, and I want this pleasant and I don't want the unpleasant, we are slowly becoming bigger than pleasant and unpleasant. We're already developing equanimity because we're able to handle pleasant and unpleasant with more big mind, with more um, freedom. So the, th- the three characteristics of um, uh, anicca, anatta, dukkha are very basic understanding of the truth of experience and that's part of our practice and that will bring equanimity by itself. So our ordinary practice brings us there and you can probably all yourself feel it that the more you practice the more you feel yeah I can I'm steady I can go out to the street you know and I'm not nervous I'm not as protective as I used to be maybe I'm there's something inside that's, that's steady that, that our practice builds. But the main, the main, the key um, for finding an inside protection which will help us deal with the problems and the issues and the pains of life, the main thing is, of course, non-attachment non-clinging, non-attachment, and especially to the non-attachment of the me, the self, the me, the, the me I think I am, to be more light with ourselves, to be a bit more uh, easy about identity and about who I am, to be a little more sort of le- uh, le- less... less Concrete around me, 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 me. It's primary. It's a primary uh, fruit of practice, and that is our internal protection. Because, like the story of the empty boat, is a Zen story which is very nice. Um, a passenger comes to um, a river, and he wants to cross. And so there's a boatman, and the boatman uh, says, "I'll take you across." So they went off, and in the middle of the river, the boat gets hit by another boat. And so the boatman shouts at the people in the other boat, why, look where you're going, you know. And and then they move on a bit, and the boat gets hit by another one, with an empty boat. And this time the boatman doesn't shout at And the passenger says, why don't you shout at this next boat, because you shouted at the one before. And he said, well, there's nobody to shout at. So if we are the empty boat, there's nobody's going to shout at us. Because there's an emptiness here. There's nobody to shout at. We don't need to defend ourselves so, so much. People can insult us. People can disturb us. People, Yeah, but it, we don't need. Non-attachment gives a sense of freedom. I mean, you can think of um, the choice when you're in... Uh, I've been doing a lot of 
driving on the freeways here in the last couple of weeks. Um, so I've been thinking about this. Someone cuts, cuts you, you know, while driving in traffic. You've got two choices. You either can get upset and say, idiot, why you do that like the boat? You know, why you do that? And well, stupid and angry. Or you can say, oh, that car went like that. What's it got to do with me? It's his problem. <laughs> he did that. Am I annoyed? Why should I be annoyed? He did it. I'm not going to add to my driving um, irritation. I don't need. So kind of... Um, uh, we get less busy with coping and protecting if we're less attached. And we'll do what we need to do in life. But things, if we're less attached to the me and the what I need and what I have to have, we'll find much more freedom and things will happen by themselves. There'll be much more sense that things are happening by themselves. And... Um, um, in the Middle East we've been doing a lot of peace work with Palestinians and equanimity is one of the qualities that we used um, quite a lot and um, we so most of the people going to these meet, we, we did a lot of meetings between Israelis and Palestinians bringing Israelis to Palestinian uh, um, centers and spending 48 hours working together in, uh, in peace work so the center of the peace activity was um, deep listening. And so one Israeli and one Palestinian would sit together for one hour and share the pain of their life, their daily life pain. And when that happened for one hour, each one expressing the pain that they feel, the pain in their daily life, when that happened, peace was made. Because the Israeli could no longer look at the Palestinian. Oh, you're Palestinian, you're a terrorist, you're this, you're that, you're that. It's a human being that is struggling and trying to make live and trying to get his kids to school and trying to... You know, and the same with the uh, Palestinian. Couldn't anymore look at the Israeli as just a soldier, just an occupier. It's a, it's a, it's a, a guy that, that is trying to go to university and study and so on and so on and struggling. And so... The deep listening was where peace was made. But something allowed it to happen, which was equanimity and steadiness. And that wasn't something that we could teach the whole group. And we spent a day on that. <coughs> feeling safe, feeling protected, but feeling inside steady, and actually encouraging steadiness. And after that, we actually did peace walks as well uh, through the Middle East, when we're actually expressing steadiness, we expressed it through our bodies by walking Palestinians and Israelis, walking steadily, quietly, silently, and slowly through towns and villages, through Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and so on. Um, we did many peace walks. And, the, and they were very impressive to the, even the media. Um, because it was demonstrating something steady. Jew and a Palestinian can be walk, walking silently, quietly together. It's a big message. 
And um, so something in the steadiness was really important in the, everything we did. Um, I, I remember one time, uh, um, usually it was really, really easy and, and, and kind of friendly because Palestinians and Israelis actually wanted to get to, to, to change the situation. They, they, it was painful, the state of permanent conflict. Anyway, but one day, I remember, it all blew up. I was there, and the Palestinians and Israelis started to scream at each other, which very rarely happened. So um, <laughs> I, uh, then I couldn't stop it. So I just got my chair and sat in the middle of them. And they were shouting and screaming at each other. And I just got my chair and sat in the middle, quietly. After five minutes, it all settled down. I turned to the Palestinian uh, facilitator and said, I'm sorry, I blew it. I couldn't handle it. I lost it. And she said, no, no, you didn't. You don't realize, because you sat there with your equanimity, the whole thing settled down after five minutes. Otherwise, they've been screaming at each other the whole day. <laughs> so, you know, in the middle of conflict, equanimity is so, um, is so crucial. Um, I, I wanted to read a piece for my book that gives a sense of... Um, how to be okay with ourselves without having to be a strong self um, but just to be allowing things to be what they are in, with us, with ourselves and it's just a small piece that kind of gives a sense of, also quite summarizes the Dharma I live alongside lots of olive trees which have an amazingly expressive character that clearly shows everything that has happened to them if a branch has been cut, or if the tree reaches out in a certain direction, or lumps are formed on the trunk, you can see it. The shape of the tree is its memory, its sankara, its response to conditions. And the tree doesn't have a problem with that. And there is no reason why we should have a problem either. We are also just shaped, constructed by life. We are given a body, and it develops and changes dynamically according to conditions. And we arrive in each moment as we are, and the world arises and meets us as it is. And all we need to do is to appreciate it and let it be. Stories are just stories. Narratives are just narratives. And embodiment, being in a body, is just embodiment. If you let go into this flow of life, we will find ourselves in the garden of the now instead of the prison of yesterdays. A difficult experience can come up, just like an unpleasant visitor arriving in our house. We can cry, and the next minute we can laugh, and then he's gone. So, um... Our equanimity is also really helped by the big view. 
by interest in liberation, by the big view. And a little bit in the story I read just now. That um, it's a view which I would say is a relational understanding. It's an understanding that everything is related and everything is interconnected and the causes and conditions will arise, including our presence on this planet. It's a cause and condition. We were given a body and here we are. And uh, well, no one asked us <laughs> if you wanted to be born. It just happened. Um, and so we just kind of allow it, you know, and, and, and uh, um, let it be. And there's something um, in this relational understanding that is very uh, freeing. Uh, we can take things less personally. And imagine in conflict, situations of conflict in your own life, in your own daily life, with your partners or with your work, people at work, or, or, um, uh, or of course, political, um, or just in the family. And, um, if you can have a bigger view that this conflict is coming because of causes and conditions, somebody feels upset and says something to you, and you don't need to respond because the causes and conditions, the conditions made this person say that thing. You say, okay, I understand. You said that, fair enough. But I don't need to add fuel to the fire. There is um, a, a nice Tibetan story about uh, two people in the marketplace and one gets hit by a stick and his uh, friend uh, who was with him said... Um, uh, he started to shout at the stick, this, this guy. And his friend said, well, do you, do, you don't need to shout at the stick because the stick is held by somebody. So better to shout at the hand that's holding the stick. So his friend said, yes, okay, okay. And he started to shout at the hand. And then his friend said, well, maybe you better shout at the person whose hand it is because he, may, he hit you. So his friend said, yeah, okay, okay. And he started to shout at the person. And then uh, his friend said, but maybe you should shout at the conditions that made that person hit you because maybe he had a hard time and maybe he hasn't eaten and maybe he feels bad and he's irritated and he hit you with a stick because of conditions that affect him. So shout at the conditions. So his friend said, oh, okay, yes, you're right. And he was just about to shout at the conditions and then he said, wait a minute, the conditions are the whole universe. <laughs> it's the whole, the whole world is conditions. How do I shout at the universe? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the point. Um, it, it's, the big view really, really helps. And something the Buddha said that is so beautiful in my mind as a, um, as a um, I would say, direction for all of us. The Buddha didn't say, be a hero, enlightened tomorrow, or be a failure. The Buddha said, bend your mind to liberation. Keep being interested in liberation. And it's a very wise, I think a very wise sense that in everything we do, we can keep being interested in liberation. And if we're really keeping that 
interest, bending our mind in every situation, life situation, conflict, suffering, difficulty, pain, uh, politics, Trump, Netanyahu, doesn't matter. We keep bending our mind to liberation. Something happens inside that um, keeps us steady because there's something bigger that we're always uh, connected with. So I do want to say that um, equanimity is sometimes mixed, and very understandably, mixed with indifference. And so people say, well, I'm very equanimous, I, I'm very peaceful, I sit and meditate every day, and, it, and I'm very peaceful, life is very peaceful and quiet, and uh, I, uh, I stay at home, and, and actually there's uh, quite a lot of indifference. The equanimity is asking us to be right in the thick of things, to be surfing the waves and not just um, closing ourselves in an air-conditioned room by the sea. <laughs> it's actually surfing the waves. It's actually being right in the middle of things. It's actually being in the heart of things. But developing an inner, quiet, steady place where things don't work in us and make us uh, disturbed and agitated and resistant and controlling and worried and anxious. But we've got a space inside, so things can happen, but we are in the middle of things. The Buddha wasn't, didn't encourage any form of withdrawal. The Buddha's long ears, the picture of the long ears of the Buddha, you've probably seen, it's because he was equanimous enough to be able to listen to the suffering of the whole world. And I know that many of us think, well, I can't take so much suffering. I don't know what to do with it. I read in newspapers of all the pain and all the difficulty that goes on. and I can't cope with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the more equanimous we are, the more we will be able to allow suffering, to know suffering, and it will not destroy us. We will cry if we need to cry, but we are still light, enough lightness inside us and readiness to be with what arises and um, to be like the olive tree with a certain shape and, and, and be okay with that. So um, uh, you can't buy peace with withdrawal. It doesn't work. Withdrawal is not peace. So you can't buy peace by shutting down. It's like a non-stick uh, pan. <laughs> non-stick is not dharma. Okay, sometimes we do need to do it. I'm not saying that it's, it's something we shouldn't do. Now and then we might decide, I need to have a time with withdrawal. I can't cope right now with the amount of stimulation and the amount of engagement. It's fine to take, a, you know, to take some time and say, okay, I am withdrawing now. Even a retreat is very, very valuable because it, is, it has in it some withdrawal in order to kind of explore in the quietness, in the laboratory of this being, in the quietness with less stimulation, uh, what's going on? What's the nature of experience? But in the end, we need to be in the middle of life and right in the middle of life. 
there's an old English expression that says, um, when the pot boils over, don't leave the kitchen. <laughs> I don't know if it's an American expression, but I heard it in, in the UK. <laughs> So, um, equanimity is um, where things touch us, but they don't really need to disturb and to work, work in us. So we actually become less disturbable. That's the key. Disturbances will happen. But we can be less disturbable, easily disturbed by events. And it's something we should notice. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not very equanimous, I get angry and so on. Maybe. Yeah, for sure. Because there's primary, there's primary things, like anger is very deep and, and very biological and very instant. Yeah, it, it can happen. But if we watch the way our Dharma practice is working in us, we may be able to notice that slowly, slowly, there is a change. And um, I am a bit more equanimous. I can take a bit more uh, the mess of life and not get knocked over by it all the time. Um, Equanimity is a very, also a very high level of dharma. It's the last of the seven factors of awakening. It's the final parami of the ten paramis. I don't know if you know about these, um, these uh, different uh, lists of qualities of, uh, uh, I would say, developed personality, a dharma personality. And equanimity is really the final one. And um, it's the fourth of the Brahma Viharas. It's quite, it's, it goes very far. It's quite a high level of, um, of, uh, of Dharma. And um, uh, I think that the key to that, to understanding that, is that every experience that we have actually if we're really watching every experience that we have, it becomes an awakened, a possibility for awakening. Every experience that we have can be walking down the street, it can be brushing your teeth, it can be a word said, that everything is workable, that all our experiences become workable, become raw material for insight and awakening. And that is why equanimity is, um, is, is, is high. Um, the Buddha talked about it as gold and said uh, in, in the sutta on gold, uh, equanimity is like gold because uh, you can do anything with it. If you're equanimous, if you're sort of ready for any experience and every experience is workable and and and. Uh, raw material for awakening everything then equanimity is quite a high place um, so in the Sutra of, the, of Gold the Buddha said um, 
Equanimity is like gold. You can mm, play with it, you can heat it, you can burn it, you can... Uh, it can be flexible, um, and it can be made into anything. You make, make gold into any jewels, jewelry, rings, anything you want. So it's, it's a raw material that's beautiful, that's pure, and it's possible to make into it everything you want. Um, so it, it, it's quite um, a deep place of non-resistance. Well, we really don't need to resist anything because everything that arises becomes a raw material for awakening. So it's no longer disturbing and it's no longer problematic. It's a difficult experience, can be painful experience, can be pleasant experience. It's all raw material for insight and liberation. Um, so it's uh, uh, it, and it's about being more empty inside, so that we and the world are all the time in relationship. We and the world are one. So, who's disturbing who? Actually, <laughs> there's, in, and that's where it goes. Um, so, in daily life, I think we should uh, really. Um, Trust equanimity as the quality that will help us cope with difficult situations such as political, social, um, community situations and personal situations. Trust equanimity to carry us through. Uh, there's a nice text by um, a, a sutta by the Buddha who said, um, how to deal with somebody that's arguing with you. So if someone's arguing with you, and has different views. Uh, if they're not held very strongly and they don't have strong emotions, then uh, you can talk to them. If they've got strong emotions but not strong views, or strong views but not strong emotions, you can still talk to them, but it's not easy. It's tiring. <laughs> it's a, but you can still talk to them. But if they have both strong views and strong emotions don't bother. <laughs> Instead, the bottom line of this sutta is um, never underestimate the power of equanimity. And uh, it's a little bit uh, like the story of, you know, of my uh, example in the Palestinian uh, Palestinian community, community the Palestinian activities when they all started to shout equanimity works you do affect others because your steadiness your non-disturbability you're not running off and getting hysteric about this and dramas about that and fears about that you're cooling the fires it has an effect on others it has an effect in the family. It has an effect in... And, and it does work. Equanimity is a, is a big power. And it, it models a certain way of living, which is very impressive to others. Um, so I, I think it's important to sort of not to invest 
in friction and not to feed the friction and feed the escaping and feed the, the, the defences, but trust equanimity instead. Um, I sort of want to finish there, but maybe with a little small story. Um, sometime, some years ago, I remember I was sitting with uh, two of my grandchildren, and they were sitting next to me on the couch, and I was um, sitting next to them, and they were fighting each other like hell. <laughs> they were shouting and screaming at each other, and um, I decided to be equanimous. Um, it didn't really work in the sense that they carried on screaming. <laughs> uh, I did feel their shouts here in the tummy as a kind of uh, energy, but it didn't do anything to me. I, I, the equanimity that I felt was simply, no, it didn't work, their anger. It didn't do anything, but I just felt it sort of almost biologically. But something, I guess, did work in the end, because after five, ten minutes of uh, this, when I was totally equanimous and sitting next to them. And at that point, I said to them, um, don't you think it's enough now? And they said, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, equan equanimity did work in some way. Um, we can be in that place with uh, all of life and, uh, and bring... Uh, and that really is a power that we need in these difficult times. We really need to go out in the world, but we need equanimity, otherwise, to some extent, we're part of the problem. We can feel anger, resistance, uh, and so on, and, and helplessness, and issues, and lots of thoughts, and lots of... And, um, and it, it limits our ability to really make change in the world. But equanimity is this huge power that we go out and um, make change in the world. So that's what I want to say formally, and um, happy that we can, if we can have some dialogue. Uh, anyone wants to raise something and talk about something? Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.